Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by this wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Listeners to the Business Creators Radio Show know that our show has a from the field feeling to it. And today I am absolutely in the field. My internet connection is out in my home office. So I have gone out into the world and I'm sitting here in a nice lounge. I was doing some reading before we hopped online here. And we are going to explore the era of workplace fun. Yes, work can be fun. And in this whole era, this whole COVIDian era, we've seen so many changes. And with the evolution of expectations and cultural norms as new generations have entered the workplace, we've seen a shift that's been very happy for me in my 25 years in the professional world toward an emphasis on fun. And before I introduce our guests, I just want to give my personal perspective on that. Some visionary leaders, I cite Sir Richard Branson as one of them, focus on, if you want to have effective effective customer service, focus on your employees, focus on the people who work for you. If you create an experience that is joyful, that is fun, that makes them feel valued, that makes them feel like their work contributes to something good, that will do more for your customer service than any amount of customer service excellence training, any form of scripting, any form of analyzing calls that were recorded, simply because your people are going to be brilliantly and passionately motivated to you and serve your customers. That is how, in so many cases, customer service takes care of itself. I've written in my book, Groundhog Days, an event, not a business strategy, about companies that stopped caring about their employees and how that just radiated down to their customers and caused them huge amounts of market share. We don't want that to happen to you. We want your company to grow. That's why I am especially excited to have with us today, Bob Nelson. He's somebody we've been trying to get on the show for a while. And fortunately, our schedules have collided, have colluded, even if my internet connection hasn't. So we are going to just push through here like we do in the real world. You're going to hear a little bit of ambient noise in the background, but you're going to enjoy that as well as you imagine yourself sitting in a coffee shop, maybe a cigar shop, maybe a lounge in a hotel where you've met two interesting people and you're sitting there at the table and you're hearing them share their brilliance and their passion and you're taking notes, you're capturing those aha moments and you're seeing before yourself new visions of success, new visions of knowing how to do things you never thought possible forming in your mind that you cannot wait to take back to your work, your business, your practice, your customers, even your life and your relationships. So let's talk about Bob Nelson. He's the president of Nelson Motivation Incorporated, which is the world's leading authority on employee recognition and engagement. He's worked with 80% of Fortune 80 he's worked with 80% of Fortune 500 companies. 
As a senior fellow for the conference board, a top thought leader for the Best Practice Institute, it was named a top five management guru by Global Gurus, fondly known as Dr. Bob, which I will attempt to call him and remember to do so. He has authored over 30 books on employee motivation and engagement. Hey, I've only done one, and that's just one of the six sections of it, which have collectively sold over 5 million copies and have been translated to more than 30 languages. He's a co-author of the new book, Work Made Fun Gets Done, Easy Ways to Boost Energy, Morale, and Results. So Bob Nelson, PhD, Dr. Bob, come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, I read off your bio. And as I alluded to, it is so impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here in this conversation with you. And this is my show. What we like to do before we dive in, I know you have some talking points you want us to cover, and we're going to make some explorations together in our time. Tell us a bit more, and this is what we do with all of our guests, about your journey, your story, and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. And as I do this, know that I may, as much as I remember, occasionally mute myself while you're speaking just to reduce the ambient noise. So go ahead, Bob. No problem. Well, I've had a blessed journey in my life. I've uh, um, learned at a young age that I could write, and I was blessed to um, get to the position of uh, getting the radar of some noteworthy people. One is Ken Blanchard, who wrote The One Minute Manager, and actually he hired me to uh, come work for him and, and help him write uh, some of his books and, and run um, product development for his company, which I did for about 10 years. And I got my PhD working with Dr. Peter Drucker, who's the known as the father of modern management. He invented the concept of the corporation, management by objectives, and was just brilliant, uh, brilliant futurist and insightful management theorist that I, I worked with uh, on my PhD, which was on the topic of employee recognition and why managers do or don't do that. Uh, the concept is often called the most proven principle of management, that you get what you recognize, what you reward, you get more of. And um, so I, I got a, a deep dive on, into that very simple but important topic that eludes most businesses and managers and has spent a lot of time trying to advocate for the importance of treating employees better. And especially relevant in today's day and age when, when uh, employees have the upper hand and are in the driver's seat and um, there's extreme shortage of people willing to take jobs in our country probably unlike any I've ever seen, that 11 million people have quit their jobs in the last three months in America for various reasons. But one of uh, which has gotta be, they've had a year to think about <laughs> what they're doing and they don't wanna do it anymore. They don't wanna go back to it. They, they uh, uh, have decided something, maybe anything else is gonna be better than what they've been doing and that might be for a mixture of uh, more money, more meaning, uh, being treated as, as uh, in a valued way and as an equal partner in the business and um, all the things that go with that. 
Um, and I've, I've uh, just to top off some of the, the giants I've I'm able to stand on the shoulders of uh, Marshall Goldsmith. Um, Dr. Goldsmith is um, a New York Times bestselling author and, and uh, has been ranked as the number one executive coach in the world. And he actually um, asked me to be his coach. So I, I do that as well. And that's been a delight. So that's that's uh, my that's my <laughs> thumbnail of my journey. It's been a, a fun, wild ride. And, and the book I, I did 25 years ago was A Thousand One Ways to Reward Employees, which I did uh, had the idea for my graduate studies before I finished my doctorate, <laughs> which I'm not sure I'd recommend to anyone because for the next uh, 12 years, I spent all my time crisscrossing the country and around the world. Uh, preaching on the topic and um, made it a little more difficult to actually finish my dissertation and get my PhD, which I eventually did. <laughs> wow, that is really something. And I, and I love that story. So let's dive right in here. I'm first of all going to take a, a quick step back. Many of our listeners, including me, have heard of Dan Scott, who is the founder of Gravity Payments. And he gained notoriety or fame or whatever you want to call it back in 2015 when he made the decision to reduce his own salary as the CEO of Gravity Payments to $70,000 a year and also raise the minimum salary or wage for most of the classes of employees in this organization to $70,000 a year. It was a very groundbreaking, in some cases, very controversial decision that he made to do that. Now, What's also interesting is when the pandemic hit, some of those same employees volunteered. He didn't even ask them. He volunt they volunteered to take pay cuts so they could keep their jobs. He accepted their offer. And then once they got past the worst of the pandemic, he not only re restored their previous salaries, but he also gave them back wages to get all that money back to them. His company keeps growing. They keep hiring more people. Their revenues keep growing. And for all those people who call Dan Scott a socialist, I'm thinking he might actually be the best form of capitalist. I bring him up because in some of the tweets he repeats over and over again, he makes the point that employees don't care as much about the fun ping pong table or soda in the fridge as they do about a company that takes care of them and gives them the space and the freedom to truly invest back in the company and be a positive contributor. So you have views on this too. And so this is where we're gonna jump into you, Bob, Dr. Bob. Well, Why? I love, I love yes. that. I love yeah. the story you just shared. And mm -hmm. it, is, it is breakthrough. And yeah. God, I, I wish more CEOs would do that because the opposite tends to be happening. That CEO uh, compensation has progressively increased far, mm -hmm. far in advance of average workers in their own companies. And just to uh, take a case in point, uh, John, John Deere's CEO, John May, uh, his, his salary for 2020 jumped 160% from 2019 to 16 million. And do we have to go further than that to, to, to understand why John Deere employees are out on strike? It's an outrage, <laughs> a complete outrage. Yeah. And if they took a fraction of that amount of money they gave to one person, 
and spread it around, then people would have a, a little bit uh, more uh, ease, ease in, in uh, making their bills and living a standard of living to which they deserve. So yeah. um, I don't want to dismiss the importance of compensation. It's, it's very important. Um, yep. and, and maybe as a starting, it's a, the, the starting threshold for moving in a, in a place where people can feel as, as partners and co-owners. Now, you also mentioned that, that uh, not just money, but um, uh, flexibility. Now, that's flexibility is something that doesn't have to cost money to allow people, for example, the ability to work from home, which we had to do during the pandemic. And as we were coming off of that, slowly but hopefully surely, um, some uh, 85% of employees out of the, the, um, the 71% of employees that shifted to working from home during the pandemic, um, 85% said that they'd like to continue working from home uh, to, to some degree. Some of them completely, because it's worked in the last year, why should we change it? And um, so a lot of them do not want to go back to work full time. And as companies have made the case that uh, they, they want them back, uh, we, we have a, a rub that is still working its way out. Uh, New York City companies such as uh, JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley and Citibank and Goldman Sachs have all come out very strongly to say, you need to come back to the office. In fact, the the CEO of JP Morgan went so far to say, if you can go out to eat uh, for dinner in New York City, you can come into the office <laughs> and have had, had a very strict, uh, you know, interpretation of what, what, uh, how we're going to proceed. And they're, they're getting a lot of blowback from employees. Now, if you pay people, you know, enough, they'll do whatever you tell them. And, and New York City financial jobs are in the upper echelon to begin with. So maybe they'll, they'll be able to achieve that. But uh, for most, for most um, people, that's not enough. And even in New York City, some 1 million workers have left the city over the pandemic to live in a place that's more affordable, where they can raise a family more easily. And, and for many of them, they, they were working uh, from remotely and from home. So we're, we're, we're still playing out how this is, is going to happen. But uh, some, about a third of employees who, who said that they wanted to come back, if they're not being, if their company doesn't listen and accommodate them to some degree, they've indicated that they would quit. And maybe that's one of the reasons we're seeing the masses, massive exodus that we are. For example, Apple Computer, who they, they came out and said, well, we, hey, they sent a letter to all employees and, and they started by saying, we know you're all anxious to come back to the office. And, and it was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> they didn't check with employees to make that statement. They just assumed it, you know? And so, and that was, that, that, uh, that struck employees harder than anything to say, that's tone deaf. If you can make a statement like that, at least start by asking us our feelings. And we are not anxious to come back to the office. Thank you. In fact, we love working at home and the flexibility and the time it allows us, uh, which includes more time for work and uh, the, not having the hassle of a, a commute and, and everything goes with that. And it's working out just fine. So don't tell us what we want when we don't want that. 
and so they had to backpedal a little bit and and end up saying, well, you know, we we you know we're appropriate. We'd like to have you come in the office uh, three days a week, <laughs> and they'll make exceptions to that. So they're they're still playing it out and and catching up with uh, what will work for both parties. And in the employer's defense, for a lot of you know employers, they go, well, wait a minute, we got how many? You know, the average for for um, stats show that the average employer uh, spends up to $50,000 a year to house an, an employee in an office. And that could be a high rise or a purchase of a building and, and, and uh, building it out. And, and so with this massive expense, we've, we've got to uh, justify that, right? So we have the office space, so this make people come back and use it. And so uh, they have to turn to to maybe saying, well, maybe we downsize the office space, not downsize the employment staff, but <laughs> downsize the office space, or, or, or maybe set up a, a series of where people can work closer to home, so in the satellite. And so com some companies are, are experimenting with uh, different versions of, of that, or, because uh, there's still some employees that would, that would they don't wanna go into the office, but they, they, you know, some would like to get out of the home and, and just not spend an hour commuting and maybe someplace in their neighborhood to, to work with others that are working remotely as a change, a, a change of venue. So there's a lot, of, a lot of different factors going on and throughout all of it is, I think on top of the list has gotta be employee um, welfare and best interest and not having that be secondary and, and uh, subservient to the employers objectives, but uh, as equal or, or maybe even stronger than the employers. So it's, it's <laughs> so the, the most, most progressive companies today uh, will, will not just meet employees at their demands, but will we'll seek out and, and see ideally what their employees would like and often deliver that. Now, if they could do that and still get the work done and still meet their, their client obligations, uh, that's going to be the the win-win that everyone's looking for. But there's too much there's too much history over the dam where it's the the employer has held all the cards. You know the golden rule: he who holds the gold <laughs> makes the rules. And so there's there's a certain degree of clinging to that to say, well, we've always done it this way. And and the big hurdle for virtual work or the pandemic and a topic that I've done hundreds of presentations on. Before the pandemic, uh, that there is an inherent fear on the part of most most managers that they cannot manage what they cannot see. So to have people, their people somewhere else doing work, uh, you know, that makes them nervous and uncomfortable. It's much easier to say, "Get your butt back in the office." <laughs> and so we're, we're we're testing all that in in. Uh, in spades right now. I, I, I was, uh, in before the pandemic, I remember I was, I was um, presenting in Albuquerque and I heard a story about a CEO that was new to the, the company and came in and, and he was gonna lay down the law and, and get things back on track and, and you know, improve the company's operations and business. And he said, if I expect every employee to be in their desk at 8.30 each morning. And this one one lady in the back of the room said, uh, rose her hand, said, well, I'm sorry, I can't do that. What do you mean you can't do that? Well, I've got, uh, I'm a single mom. I've got uh, two kids. 
no one else to drop off at school or to pick them up in the afternoon. And, and I also have a, an aging parent that if I, if I get a call in the next 10 minutes, I might have to go take my mom to the, the emergency room, the doctor's appointment, and, and no one else to do that for me. Well, if you're serious about this job, you'll be in your desk tomorrow morning at 8.30. Well, what, what choice did she have? She quit. It turns out she was the number one revenue generator for that company. And why she was so committed was because the company heretofore had allowed her to have her life operate within the context of the constraints she had. And so she put her kids to, to bed and she, she spent two or three hours setting up the next day to, to hammer out and, and get the job done and with the clients. And, and uh, now she wasn't working for them anymore. And a lot, of, a lot of customers followed her to wherever she went to because she was so good. And that's, that's kind of the reality. If the, if the employee yeah. holds, the, holds the ball as they do right now, they do. We, they have do. To, we have to listen a little bit more to them. So. Yeah, Bob, there is so much to unpack here. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, so let's, let, me, let me start breaking this down. In my book, I use the phrase several times, turnover is a bitch on your bank account. <laughs> so think about that company where you had this tough new CEO who's going to lay down the law and get things on track so we could be profitable. Just gave his money away. He fired his top performer because he thought that somehow it, people were more productive when they're at their desk at exactly a certain time. I worked for a company like that and uh, they were pathetic. Uh, I mean, yeah. it was just really, really bad. And in my book, I also devote an entire section of a, of a chapter to how stupid the standard <laughs> corporate voicemail greeting is. The one that says, hi, my name is Bob Nelson. Uh, I'm on the phone or away from my desk. Really, Sherlock? <laughs> no, what's prob no, what's probably happening, what's probably happening is you're stuck in yet another pointless meeting that should have been an email. There you uh, go. You're by the water cooler. Uh, <laughs> or maybe you just didn't answer the phone. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I had a exactly correct. I, I've, I've been yeah. in environments like that as well. Yeah, I had a, I had a case in the last job I had before I became a full time entrepreneur. It was like clockwork. Every day at, at, at like five after two in the afternoon, I'd get a call from somebody in one of the other departments that I worked with, and she'd say, uh, "Hi, Adam. This is Denise. Give me a call when you get a chance." You know how many times I called her back? How many? Zero. <laughs> Okay. Because, it, because I never had a chance. I'd run into her in the hallway and say, I left you a message and you, you didn't get back to me. You said, you said for me to get back to you when I had a chance. I haven't had a chance. Now, how can I help you? <laughs> the, the thing behind this was, is she had also been aware that for the part of her job that interacted with my department, it was supposed to be handled by email. And she was trying to go around that because she thought that was the more personal way. So I had to do a little Pavlovian training with her. Uh, for a while, I made a practice, like whenever I was at my desk, the moment I saw an email come in from her, I responded to it so fast that she got the reply before she was even for sure she had sent. So I just reinforced through Pavlovian tactics the behavior that we were looking for. And it enabled me to be a better service and also kept her off the phone for whatever reason she liked to gab on the phone i don't know whatever so wanted, there's so there's, be, so there's that there's that so I mean, in we, my we, book, there's a social function of work and exactly you know, part of a work group and uh -huh. or, or maybe she wanted more more visibility she wanted to, to know the people she's working with better 
that's all so well and good. She saw me yeah. in the hallway. She got to she got to get to know me. But but, <laughs> but see, so that starts with the lunacy of that somehow you're more or less productive depending on whether or not you're at your desk or <clears throat> cubicle. Uh, or or in a meeting. The last uh, company I worked for, I, the first day of the of the year, I calculated how many how many meetings I was already scheduled for for the the first day of the year. You know, different standing meetings and strategy meetings, executive meetings, pricing meetings, product meetings. Uh-huh. Add up to 52 days worth of meetings scheduled before I started the year. 52 days. And I wow. said to myself, I cannot, I cannot do this. <laughs> I cannot do this again to sit in the same room and hear the same people go around and hear their opinions, which don't change from issue to issue. I, uh-huh. I, will, I will kill myself before I do that again. And I, and I left, you know, but it's, you, you got to recognize when, when the, the environment's not, conducive for who you are and so and, and find an environment that that better is i also prior to that i worked for a, a large bank and man um <laughs> I, I came home every monday with a migraine headache <laughs> and and had to go in a dark room and you know uh uh-huh. and it took me a while to to get the message you know maybe this isn't the job for me and <laughs> finally left there but and and uh uh, and that's a big part of life. You know, it's sort of uh, Mark Twain said, you know, two most important days of your life are the day you're born. And secondly, the day you find out why. <laughs> and for a lot of people, they, they uh, you know, give up or don't even try to find out that why. And they just fall into a job. And then, you know, even if they come to hate it, they stick with it because the commute's not too bad or whatever it may be. And, and they're miserable. And then they get to the point where maybe they quit and they go do it again somewhere else. And their whole career is made up of jobs that uh, they hated and working for managers. They hated doing work. They hated. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, here's, well just, this, this brings up another thing. This is why I say <laughs> that our, that our interviews are more like mastermind conversations. Um, I wasn't even done with all this stuff that uh, your, the answer to your first question gave me. And this gives me another insight. Um, think about how meetings are run in organizations. And there's this whole big thing about inclusion and making people feel heard. And that gets taken to the extremists that meetings become clusters. I yeah, once was, no in a, I, I was in a Zoom meeting uh, a, maybe about a year ago where they did the thing at the end where they went around and does anybody else have anything to add and listen to one person spend 13 minutes, I timed it, 13 minutes, explaining why they had nothing to add. <laughs> Here's, and, 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 and then also tie that to another thing you see in meetings is people asking questions to which pe- everybody already knows the answer because that's, <laughs> how they get, that's, that's how they get participation points is having contributed, shown they were involved, put themselves in the loop, et cetera. <laughs> Et cetera, et cetera. I think this goes back to our childhood when we were given participation points for raising our hand in classes. And that model in itself completely ignores that some students excel when they don't get called on. That goes back to the whole introversion, extroversion thing, among other factors. So yes. I have no a, doubt 80, 80%, yeah. at least 80%. And I, I, did a, I did a book a long time ago about uh, meetings called, called we, we Have to stop meeting like this and, yes and you know 80, we have 80 to stop plus meeting per- like this exactly 80 plus percent of 
meetings are considered wasted time. So yeah, don't don't have a meeting if an email will do. If you do right. have a meeting, make sure everyone knows why they need to be there, and so they can be prepared and and start on time and end on time. You know, don't you know those are, those simple things like that just shape stuff up in a in a hurry. Um, there's my my son works for a hundred percent virtual company, and and I'm amazed that they they have very great efficiency in their meetings. They have whoever's presenting pre-records their meeting on their cell phone and post it. And people re- listen to it when they have a chance. And then they start the meeting with a quick re- recap and they go straight to questions. So it's yeah. a super short meeting. And then it's archived for someone else that joins the company later can, can listen to. And it's, um, it's very, very efficient. It's not... That we're gonna we're gonna block out you know a standing meeting every Monday morning or you know we'll talk about for two hours what we hope to to maybe get done this week <laughs> right okay. so I, I would echo everything you're saying on that but um, but employees definitely in the driver's seat today from all all the books I've done have spoken to this in different ways my most recent is work made fun gets done and it's mm-hmm. it's taking um, you know this this simple concept and saying, you know, this is part of it too. There's, there's a, a lot, of, uh, it's a, a falsely held belief on part of a, a lot of people, especially, you know, top of the organization that, well, we pay you to work. If you want to have fun, do that on your own time. Well, our own time has become our work time. <laughs> if, if you look around for the last decade or so. And so now that we're drawing on our home time, I don't know anyone that doesn't do emails, you know, some emails at night or on the weekend or on vacation. I was just, I just had a vacation a couple of weeks ago and I've here, here, you know, <laughs> I wrote the book I'm doing here. I'm doing a webcast from Hawaii. Man, what, what's going on here? You know, but, uh-huh. but um, although that, that, uh, you know, one hour webcast paid for all my, all my expenses from the trip. So I guess that was, that was worthwhile, but um, there's, there's uh, we, we have to start looking at the job as, broader than than just uh, doing things and and uh, and and so to take in the 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 needs of the employee and the desires of the employee is is critical and, and I've, I've, I have a quote in, in this new book that that um, from someone that says most most people chase success at work thinking it will make them happy the truth is that happiness at work will make you successful so if we realize that and we start asking some different questions and start accommodating employees a little bit more. Uh, they're going to be uh, they're going to be more happy. They're going to be more productive. You will have better customer service. I complete completely agree with you on that point. And and just to add to to that uh, argument, um, you know, I, I worked with uh, worked with Walt Disney Corporation for 15 years now, uh, and they were in my doctoral uh, work dissertation, and. Um, you know, the whole foundation of Disney came from one man, Walt Disney, who early in his career, he, he said he realized that you can't yell at an employee in the back room, expect them to go out and treat a customer like nothing's wrong. No one could, could shift uh, like that. And so he, he made the commitment, if he ever had people that worked for him before he had a company, he would treat them like they were his customer. And if they yeah. did that well enough, they would treat the organization's customer in a like manner. And that that you don't have to go any further to, to see the 
the, the, the success of Walt Disney has come from that epiphany that he had early in his age and it, it drives, it drives all, all the success the company has. Why is it the happiest place on earth? Because uh, the, the employees uh, more times than not are, are the happiest as well. And they're treated respectfully um, and, and they're involved and, and they play an important part. They have at Walt Disney World in Orlando, they have over 250 ways to recognize and thank employees for what they're doing, what they're already paid to do. Now, a lot of companies would say, well, that's a waste of time. You're paying them to do that. You shouldn't have to thank them as well. Well, they choose to thank them because they know that they have a choice. Yeah, they have to physically be there, but are they gonna put their heart into it or are they gonna dread it? Is it gonna be uh, come from their attitude? And so they, they put a big focus on, on employees being, it's their company, it's their, their ambassadors for, for Disney. And, it, and people as, as a result treat um, the customer very differently. And, and down to like the, the person picking up trash in a, in a theme park, which they actually contend is the most important person in the, in the whole organization, person picking up trash, because they have the most customers ask them questions in the course of a day. Now, if they, if they took any of those questions and say, how should I know? I'm just picking up trash. What, what's going to be the response? Kids, let's head to the car. We're done here. <laughs> and and uh, they just uh, crushed the expectations of the customer. But instead, if they went down one knee and said, have you met Mickey before? Let me take you over there. And you're going to love this. And you just, not only did you make the whole vacation, but they're already planning the next visit. We're going to bring the grandparents that time. And, and so it goes. <laughs> it's, it's getting the magic from the employees means, uh, get, uh, for the customers means giving the magic and having employees be the magic uh, for the company. I, I've, met, I've met employees that have picked up and, and moved uh, from the mid, Midwest to Orlando because they had to work for Disney. They didn't care what the job was. They had to be a part of this organization. And it's, it is a magical thing, but the, the magic is basic blocking and tackling around the topics of how people are treated, how they're respected, how they're trusted, how they're involved. I did a backstage tour of Disneyland. Now they've, they've, they've had the same principles since 1955, you know, four core values. Um, and so, you know, anything that has to do with the business, they they gotten down, you know, 40 years ago. And, here I'm, I'm walking through the uh, kitchen and, and there's this whiteboard up on the wall. And I, I asked someone, what's this all about? He goes, oh, well, here's we let people that have new ideas for how we can improve things, write their idea up and, and we try them. Hey, we're, we're doing something Eric suggested for improving efficiency on one of our catering operations. I'm like, going, oh my God. Now they figured out catering 50 years ago. What, what do we... What can we possibly learn from Eric, the new guy who we're paying you know, minimum wage to? Well, we won't know if we don't give it a try, will we? <laughs> and, uh, and just the thought of, of doing that and honoring him for the idea he had will give, uh, we'll give this the next idea from him. And so it goes. You know, so there's a lot to be said if you could really empower the employee to be all they could be. And, that, and that's really what I see as the role of management is, you know, Peter Drucker said, um, define management is getting the work done through others. It wasn't being the, trying to be the smartest person in the room. It wasn't being the, the person that makes all the decisions. 
it was getting the work done through others. So that means you got to go to those others and say, how can I help you? <laughs> what are you doing? What, what are your obstacles? How can I be of assistance? It's serving the employee. It's not being having the, the employee be a, a servant for you. It's you serving them. <laughs> a lot of people have, have uh, missed that message in, in, their, in their jobs when they're promoted to being a manager. The traditional trajectory is you're promoted because you were excellent as, at what you did at the previous job, which might have been sales, it might have been IT, it might have been uh, accounting, it might have been purchasing. You did it so well, we're going to make you the manager of the area. Well, now it requires a different skill set to succeed. And, and if you come into that thinking, well, I've got to prove myself, and I'm going to prove myself by, by showing people how smart I am, by catching mistakes everyone else makes that they missed, now I'm going to prove my worth. Well, you, you might prove your worth, but you're going to drive all your people away from you that they don't want to work for you anymore because you're a micromanager and you're, you're uh, in a terrible person and, and you take credit for their ideas and on and on. And, and you, 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 good luck because you're going to be all on your own. They're going to be silently uh, undermining you whenever they can. <laughs> and you get away from that by, by instead building trust with the employee. And so I, I've had many people ask me, well, what do you recommend? I'm a, I'm a new manager. Well, the, what you should do is you should interview each of your employees and ask them how you can help them. And then when you, you have that input, uh, you know, find the common theme that can help the most and make that happen. And if it means going to your boss and, and getting approval for a, a new uh, software or uh, a change of, of uh, procedures, then make that happen and, and tell the person that put you in the job, you know, <laughs> you put me in this job, you got to back me up. This is, I'm making my, my, my best case. This is what we need to advance. So trust me on this. And, and if you're able to make that happen, you're going to show to your employees that you can, you can shake the tree and make their jobs be better and more efficient. And, and that you, you will, you will draw them to you and they're going to be honored to work for you. And they will, eventually they will, they will, uh, they will think twice about leaving. You know, who, if you've got a good job, and there's only, you know, studies show it's only one out of every four or five managers you'll have in your career that you'll think highly of. If you have one of those, you think twice about leaving them because the next person is likely to be a jerk again. You've seen that that story, and so you know you 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 bend over backwards to to help that person be successful because you you love the job, you love the person you're working for. And, and they return the favor by allowing you flexibility, allowing you uh, uh, the ability to be involved in decision-making, which 89% of employees say they'd like to be involved in decisions, especially as those decisions uh, affect them and their job. Uh, uh, some 92% say they'd like to be asked for their ideas and opinions. Well, ask them, what does that cost to say, hey, we're, we're thinking about, we got this decision-making. I know I got to make the final decision, but it'll be a better one if I get your input. So what, what do you all think? What, uh, what's the, the points we should look at here? Well, 92% of employees say they, they, they feel valued when manager asks them for that. It shows trust, it shows respect. And chances are you're going to get some good ideas that are going to help you make a better decision. Why wouldn't you do that? And if someone makes a mistake, you know how easy it is to embarrass them in front of their peers. But what about taking a breath and a step back and say, you know, I'm not sure I would have done it the same way, but what'd you learn from that? 
that could have been the best train you've had all year. I'm glad you made that mistake. That's a bigger person that could say that and take the long-term view of the relationship with that employee instead of momentarily look like they're the smartest person in the room, which doesn't help much to get the job done. So that's, that's what I've seen and on my journey, on my research, and I'm, I'm constantly trying to swing at the plate to show people how to make that environment happen for their employees and, how, and the key role that the manager has in their sphere of influence for setting up the place that everyone wants to work for. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. Of course, as we in, indicated, you've got to pay competitively if people are underpaid, or if you just, <laughs> just paid your CEO, a, gave them a 160% raise and you're giving everyone else a, a half percent raise, that, you know, it's not, it takes any, anyone in the world to say, well, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> so uh, you, you got to have that in, in alignment. But once you, once you pay people, uh, the, the work just starts to, to really get the most from them. You've got to show that you had their best interest at heart. My definition of engagement is alignment of personal aspirations with company objectives. And the person that does that is any given manager, the, the connection between the people doing the work and the goals of the organization. And if, if you can find the balance between uh, this is a, the right thing for us, but it's the right thing for you as well, because you're gonna learn new skills. It's gonna give you visibility. It's gonna put you in line for a promotion or, or a job of your choice. Uh, it would be a stepping stone. And, and it's the manager saying, part of my job is to help you, help you advance your own career. And I won't feel, feel good about my, myself unless I'm able to do that. That's a pretty powerful, pretty powerful thing. My, my wife is a, a, a manager. She, a uh, recent job, she had uh, 12 technical people, all, all men, by the way, working for her. And, and uh, they loved her and they loved her because she was considerate. She asked questions, she was helpful. She was never um, afraid to jump in and, and roll up her, her sleeves and, and help them on a problem, on a project. In fact, she, she had, um, last year, she had four of those 12 people get promoted to other jobs. She wasn't, she wasn't, uh, she, was, she loved that. She wasn't threatened by that. She wasn't, you know, that a lot, a lot, a lot of managers don't want someone threatened. Now I've, now I've got a hole. I've got to fill. It's going to be hard to train someone, get them up to speed. Uh, that's an honor to, to be able to help someone advance in their career. She had, she, she left that job. She had one guy, I think he was 45. He actually cried because he, she was the best manager he ever had. And she, he was so sorry that she was leaving. You know, so boy, you don't, you don't get that type of loyalty from a paycheck. <laughs> you get it from a relationship and, and the relationship is, is leading with what most matters for the employee. There's a saying that says that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So you got to lead, you got to lead with that and give them the benefit of the doubt and trust them uh, until a point where you, you feel that they violated that trust. Um, but still be on their, on the lookout for how to uh, help them be the best person they could be in their in their in their job and in their career and in their life ultimately. <laughs> okay, you pretty much answered all your own questions in that <laughs> one thing. <laughs> well, you got it's it's easy to turn me on. It's hard to turn me off. So I've got like I said, it's my thirty first book. So I've got uh, a lot. 
a lot to, to say on the, this topic. Um, and and it's, it's not, it's easy to get started. And in, in the latest book, I, I break it down to how people can have more, more fun in their own work, whatever that might be, how they can do more in teams they're a part of, and then how the organization can do things to help perpetuate a, a fun culture, which, which is, is uh, you know, you got to get over the hump of saying, well, do we want to have a fun culture? Yes, we do. If, if you, you know, part of the research that we, we lay out in, in the book is that uh, we, we studied, we looked at the 100 best places to work for in America, the list that Fortune magazine prints every year. And in, in analysis of that, employees for the 100 best companies to work for in America, 82% of them say that they work in a fun work environment, 82%. For the people that apply for that list, but don't get on it, it's only 60% that say they work in a fun environment. That differential, that 20 point differential is one of the largest differentials of any variable in the study. Of, uh, and, and so that in itself kind of shows that if you, if you want to go from good to great, this is part of the mix. It's got to be a workplace that, that where people are enjoying their work, enjoying who they're working for and enjoying um, the customer they're serving. And that's, that's very realistic to make happen in any environment. Uh, it starts with the, the, first, the first step and, and moving in the same direction. So I'll give you an example. I was speaking in, uh, I was presenting in Seattle to 800 people. And I, uh, this person in the front row looked really familiar. And I, and I asked her, I said, have we met? And she goes, yeah, I, I heard you speak six weeks ago. And I had to come tell you what happened. And I said, well, what happened? She says, well, I left that presentation. I was determined. I was determined to, to go back and put in practice some of the ideas that you suggested. That I wasn't going to ask permission to anyone. I was just going to go back and do it in my, in my area. I said, well, what'd you do? She goes, well, we, one of the things I did is we, we created a happiness committee. It had five people on it. No one knew who any of them were. It was anonymous. And any one of those five people could say, it's time to do something. You know, morale's low, or we've got to celebrate the success of a new account, uh, but it's time to do something. I said, well, what, what types of things would you do? Well, we, we had a picnic up on the roof. That was kind of fun. Uh, we're downtown Seattle, and we, and we, um, we traded a meeting space with a company on the next block over that was a limo company. And now they give us limo rides because we let them use our meeting space once a month for their meetings of their staff and, and on and on. And it just, uh, it was just kind of uh, bootstraps up, uh, no big budget, but just getting in the game because it had a, it had a huge impact on my department. People were, were excited. They're, they're enjoying their work more. And so much so that other managers started asking what are you guys doing over there? You're having so much fun. Hey, come to the next department meeting. We're not, we don't have any secrets here. We'd love to have you. And it, it got bigger and better. And, and uh, uh, fast forward uh, 15 months later, that company, Perkins Coy, a law firm of all things, entered the best place to work in America, number 23 on the list. I would contend from one person, uh, a manager in the finance department saying, this is real. This is happening on my watch uh, and, and going from there. So the potential is for anyone, anyone listening, it's very, very real. And if you have a small company, you know, my, one, of my, one of my observations over all the, the thousands of companies I've, I've worked with 
Adam, is that uh, most people uh, start with, on any change, they start with what they can't do. Well, we don't have the budget, we don't have this, the uh, CID won't go along, whatever, the constraints we have. And don't do that. Start with what you can do, not what you can't do. <laughs> you know, make, it, make it easier on yourself. So if you're a small business, it's very easy to say, well, we don't have the resources to motivate people because they're thinking that means we got to pay them more money and we can't do that or more benefits. That's going to cost money too. So, well, don't, don't do those things you, you can't afford to do. Start with things you can do and look at the assets you do have. You got daily visibility with your employees. You got, you've got, uh, they get to see the, the founder or the CEO on a daily basis because it's a small company. You've, you've got fle infinite flexibility. You don't have a 300-page policy manual. You can decide right now what you want to do to this afternoon. And you can do, a, you can do something fun for people uh, and, and give them a good reason why for, related to performance of the, of the organization or of an individual or of a group. And, and that's, that's amazing. There's a lot of corporations that wish they had that flexibility. So take advantage of the assets you do have and don't just uh, bemoan those things that you can't do. Because in, in, my, in my experience, there's, off, there's typically more things you can do than you can't for, for any of us in any environment. Wow, that's, um, yeah, and I tell you, that is really something here. So, um... I have time for one more quick question. We have to keep this down to about two minutes. And this is something that comes up a lot when we deal with workplace happiness. How do you engage the newest generations, like your millennials, your Gen Zs, who at this point statistically make up the majority of the workplace, as well as uh, some of those older employees or burnout employees at any stage in the generational cycle? Well, thank you. That, a great question. And ask, actually, the easiest answer. Millennials want to have fun already. 59% of them say that they... They expect the workplace to have fun. So if they don't have it, they're, they're concerned. So I would say, uh, bring them into it. Uh, is an example in the book where a CEO said uh, every year that he, he uh, you know, has to come up with a, what to do for a, a celebration and they, they tried different things. No one ever liked what he did, you know, <laughs> dinner at this place or whatever. And one day he got tired of trying to push on a rope and instead he, he uh, employed a millennial and said, hey, would, would you like to help on this? I'd love to. And the guy used social media tools to, to survey employees and then the best timing as well. And they did the thing and it was a huge success. Best than they've ever had. They ended up doing like a, a, one of these medieval dinner things with the show and stuff. And everyone loved it. The kids loved it. The families, everybody loved it. And uh, so I'd, I'd say pull them into the fold and and they're already predisposed to want to have more fun. So tap into the ideas they have and give them the constraints that you have. And maybe that you, know, you have to approve the final budget, but maybe there's a lot of things they can do that don't require much budget to begin with. See what they come up with. Uh, so I, I would say tap into them and, and uh, invite them to the, the party, if you will. And, and just doing that, the CEO did it. Uh, that is an honor in and of itself. Uh, to be have the visibility and be helping the, the CEO, uh, that that will that will go a long long way. I, I had <laughs> you're gonna cut me off here, but I actually I spoke to a, a group of CEOs. They were all ran apartment complexes, and and we we're talking about this topic and the younger work workforce. And this one CEO stood up and uh, had an apartment in a complex in in LA, and she says, you know, we had this new complex got finished, and we we were up against it because we. We had to, you know, get it filled and, and, and we're way behind on our schedule. She said, for the first time ever, I went to a group of millennials 
I threw the keys to the office on the table. I said, I don't care what it takes. We need to get this place filled up. Would, would you all do this for, for us? And they, they jumped on it and they did things that the company had never done before. Instead of having open houses, they had open parties to attract you know, younger generations. They created a YouTube channel. And in record time, they filled up, uh, they rented the whole apartment complex. And uh, they went back to the CEO afterwards and said, hey, we, we like to, uh, been talking about how to celebrate our success. We'd like, to, we'd like to go to Vegas together to celebrate. And the CEO goes, knock yourself out. <laughs> and they did that. In fact, there's one person that uh, didn't make her goals, but she was so helpful to other team members. They had her come to. They had a great time. They came back. They met with the CEO again. And uh, they said, do you have any other apartments you need filled? These kids didn't know it at that point. Maybe they do now, but they, they could start a whole business doing this. And they're, they've got the energy, they've got the, the smarts, they've got the ideas. Uh, and so tap into that with the younger generation and you'll be surprised at, at what you can get from that. Wow, that's fantastic. So we are at the top of the hour and uh, we do uh, we are actually about to um, run out of time here. So what I want to do is for those of our listeners who have found themselves enthralled by your unique storytelling approach and your brilliance and your passion around the era of workplace fun, um, how do they engage with you further if they find themselves leaning in wanting more? And what do they have to look forward to when they do? Well, the, the book, Work Made Fun, gets done, Easy Ways to Boost Energy and Morale Results by uh, myself and my co-author, Mario Tamayo. It's available wherever books are sold. So Amazon, we have it actually on our, our online store, at my website, drbobnelson.com, D-R-B-O-B-N-E-L-S-O-N.com. We sell all my books at discounted prices. Um, but any, any local bookstore would have them as well. And, and on my website, of course, I have my other services I do. I, I do a lot of speaking. I do consulting. And I love helping uh, get others get into this game of, of seeing the value and what they have and the resources they're already paying for and how to leverage their employee resource to get more out of it and to make it more fun, enjoyable, and more productive for the employee as well along the way. Great. Well, Dr. Bob, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Well, Adam, thank you for having me. I'd, I'd, be, I'd love to be back anytime you, you need you need someone. Cool. And it's a delight uh, hearing about your book and, and the services that you're providing. I, I thank you so much for having this excellent uh, uh, interview. Very good. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.